Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Quarter. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 120. All right, guys, I know this is like the part of the year where I keep saying this is our last beta, last beta, last beta. And Apple always comes back and says, no, no, it's not. So, yeah, we got another beta today, which this one, I guess, is probably more the regularly scheduled every two week beta. But because we got an extra one last week as our bonus beta. I don't think I've noticed anything really that different. Have you guys? I have not installed beta seven yet, so I haven't had a chance to really check it out. What, you were too busy watching the eclipse? Uh, eclipse and yeah. That's old news Lots by the time this today. episode comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, eclipse is so like seven hours ago, depending on your time zone. I think uh, I kind of hesitated a little bit because there was a warning that upgrading from beta 5 to beta 6 or beta 7 could um, kind of churn indefinitely. Uh, there's a workaround for it, but I kind of held off to see how the beta went for other people. I had no problem on my iOS devices going from 5 to 6. Yeah, I was uh, fine. Uh, I guess the workaround is you go into manage memory and delete the the installer. Okay. Yeah, even 6 to 7 was fine. Now, I did have an issue with my MacBook because I had to restore that from a Time Machine backup, and it did not want to update to the latest beta. So I, I'm not even sure how that, how I ended up getting that straightened out. I think I kind of somehow downgraded to, to uh, beta one and then was able to go back up. I used the, I had to end up reinstalling, I guess you would say, using the uh, install Mac OS app that sits in your applications folder. So that was a little weird, but this, this past uh, beta experience was just fine. Everything upgraded perfectly. So I'm sitting pretty happy right now on my new operating systems. So. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it was mostly bug fixes. I think I saw the one change is they, like, put a placeholder image for, like, Apple Music in the little control center widget that they keep messing with, but it seems like we're getting pretty close to being done. Um, how, how many more betas do you think we're going to have, Sam? <laughs> All right, so if we don't get another one next week, then as the day we're recording this, it's uh, August 21st? Yes, yes, 21st. So that would put us pretty firmly into September if we have to wait another two weeks for another beta. And that will be pretty close to the actual September event time frame. Yeah, we should. Usually it's kind of mid-early September when they had the event. But some of that kind of depends on whether or not they had uh, delays in uh, manufacturing with the next iPhone. Yeah, that, assuming that all the rumor sites are, are correct or whatever, you know, 
it's always kind of funny because it's like, oh, yeah, Apple's having this this setback and this setback. And then miraculously, Apple was able to pull it all out and and get it done. So I, I don't know how much I would buy into any of those things. There are definitely some firsts that they're doing, allegedly, right, with the Touch ID being possibly being underneath the screen or who knows. All right, so you're saying there's no more betas. Yeah. If, yeah, if we're going to follow a two-week cadence, yeah. Yeah, I think we have time for one more beta, but we'll see. Yeah, I think we'll have another beta in a GM. Yeah. You know, outside, like, app icons in the last build, uh, something that it, beta 6, uh, something that they added that I think is kind of interesting is the ability to temporarily disable Touch ID in iOS 11. And uh, you do that by hitting the power button five times, I believe. Yeah, really quick. It's not even obvious that that's what happened until you try to log back in. Like, it's supposed to be, like, a quick yeah. access for, like, your health ID and stuff like that if, for, like, some emergency situation, I think, is the stated purpose of it. Um, yeah, the for, you know, people who are traveling across borders, you know, there's been more and more cases of being forced to unlock your phone. And I think, if I understand it correctly, you can be compelled to unlock your phone with a fingerprint, but not with a passcode. Right. Biometrics in the U.S. are not uh, protected data. Well, I think things may be different at the border, but if this is a normal situation, if you're a citizen of the United States and you're just like talking to law enforcement, I think what Alex said holds true. They, they can make you give like if, if you're doing like a border entry thing, they're allowed to make you give passwords and stuff like that. It's that's a whole nother topic. But um, yeah, the. It used to be the thing was if you're in some situation where you don't want to be forced to hand over your your uh, your thumbprint or whatever, you just held down the uh, the two buttons uh, to restart your phone, and that's how you would force the reentry of your passcode. But this seems like sure. a much quicker way to do it. So I I, I really think this points like lends credence to the fact that we're going to get that Pearl ID face recognition thing. Uh, Cause just the fact that it's really hard to like stop someone from holding a phone up to your face. It's even easier than a, a you know, a, a thumbprint, but yeah, I think this really lends credence to that. And I don't think anyone is saying that the face recognition thing isn't going to come at this point anyway. So Seems like that's happening for sure. So kind of going along this security theme, uh, Alex, you shared a, an article earlier about apps that are sharing or taking your location data and selling it to third parties. Yeah, this is a, uh, there's been a couple posts about it, but um, basically there's companies and we get these emails all the time, but we, we just ignore them. Um, but they, you get an email and it's like, would you like to monetize your users without adding any more ads or in-app purchases to your app? Uh, guaranteed, you know, X amount of dollars or whatever. And it's like, huh, 
that's got to be some super shady stuff. Um, but I guess there's a lot of apps who take these companies up on their offers, and what they basically do is uh, you just send location data to their servers, and they do whatever they they want with them. Who knows? Um, so the most recent one that uh, was revealed was using this is uh, AccuWeather, which is a fairly popular weather app. And being a weather app, of course, you're going to grant permissions to let you, you know, use its location in the background. So they basically can track, you know, wherever you go. Um, and they're they're super sneaky about it. Like, so an iOS, uh, what is it, iOS? Um, 11, they added the the feature where you can switch back and forth between only allowing location when you're in the app versus in the background, uh, regardless of what the the app lets you do. And um, basically now uh, they, they've got like a whole bunch of other ways that they can get this location data too. So uh, beacons are one way. So... Uh, even if you have locate, locate, excuse me, cut that out. Even if you have location data turned off for an app, uh, the, this company will basically look at the SSIDs that it can see. And it can even trigger that based on like you go into a store or leave a store. They'll have like a Bluetooth beacon, which can force a background app to trigger for that. So they can basically like track you when you're entering and leaving stores and when you're going all over the place. So there's, there's some really shady stuff going on. Um, yeah. I'm trying to really even envision what that data could be used for outside of like demographics based on location, um, you know, behavior patterns, you know, it, it could definitely be used for uh, nefarious purposes. Well, I mean, I, it basically gives a private company who you didn't don't have any agreement to like all the information about like where do you live where do you work where did you go after work where did you you know they basically would have all your location data which i mean there's all kinds of things you could use that for i remember i was when when the background location feature was a new thing in ios uh i was working somewhere and we did this little study where bunch of people voluntarily installed an app on their devices and we just basically uh, tracked all the data and looked at what you could get and you could I mean you could find all kinds of crazy stuff uh, about people from it so I mean it it may primarily be used for like advertisers or something like that but yeah if it's easy to go into a gym they're gonna they're going that's going to allow them to profile you better. Yeah, well, this is a person who who is uh, thirty something, and they like to go to the gym and work out. So now on their Facebook feed, we're going to start showing them, you know, workout, running shoes, or something. Yeah, I always assumed that was the primary motivation behind Google's Metro Wi-Fi uh, attempts. And they've kind of backed off on that, and as far as I know, in most cities, but. But I assumed it was about data mining more than any, anything else. Yeah, but it's kind of yeah. I just feel like it's it's dangerous in the time dangerous in the times we live in to have that data out there for somebody to to get to if they wanted it potentially. Um, 
But yeah, there's all kind of tricks that these companies can do too. Even if you like turn off location services, uh, to, to get the data, whether you want it or not. So just, just remember that a free app is always monetized somehow. And if you're a developer, I'd probably caution you not to, <laughs> not to work with one of these companies. It seems like it's one of those things where Apple's trying to shut down all these loopholes. Yeah. And I know that, uh, Al Franken had proposed a law about making the fact that you're tracking that type of information uh, more obvious and uh, not buried inside of a terms of service. I think the EU just passed a law that goes into effect um, in like 2018 for that specific purpose. So, yeah, it'd be cool if we had a law like that, but it doesn't seem like those types of things have been happening lately. Yeah, um, case of weather apps, I remember listening to, I think it was an episode of Under the Radar, where David Smith was talking about shutting down his weather app, and it was just something that he had used, or he had tried out as a thing, and it didn't really stick, but he was still paying so much per month for this weather service, mm -hmm. and his users weren't near enough to even break even. So he ended up shutting it down, but that's something to keep in mind that these weather apps, they pay for that data from somewhere. And if they don't, if they don't have a large user base, if you're not paying them something, then they're getting their money somehow. Otherwise they'll disappear. And if they're not disappearing, then, you know that you're being marketed as the product. Yeah, we don't really have a good segue here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, Chris Latner recently announced that he was joining Google to work on their AI team. And uh, it looks like maybe in the time between uh, Tesla and Google, he had time to work on a little bit of Swift again. And there's a PR out there from Chris Latner and Joe Groff uh, for async await. And uh, looks like that's actively being worked. And that'll give us uh, a solution to concurrency and potentially in Swift 5. Uh, it wasn't originally something that was planned as part of the Swift 5 roadmap, but if it's uh, far enough along, we might get that sooner than later. Wasn't I saying last week that the shiny stuff was going to get added on, even though the goal was? Yeah, well, I mean, this is the kind of the community aspect of it. You know, if it's if somebody has something, you know, it's still kind of called a prototype. And, you know, Chris and, and Joe have said that it's not ready for to be merged in yet. But it looks like it's farther along than maybe before well, uh, than what we th were expecting. Uh, async await is, you know, one of many solutions to this. I think uh, .NET might do the async await, and I believe Kotlin's also looking at adding that as yeah, well. Yeah, C Sharp definitely it's, has it. Yeah, it's basically just kind of a, a promises framework built into the language. At least that's the way I understand it. But this this is only at this point 
just some parsing and semantic analysis, according to the, the pull request comment from Latner. There's a whole lot of stuff underneath the hood that would have to happen to, to actually get this to go. And maybe they accept All it right. in the proposal and it's for a Swift 6, or maybe... Yeah, who knows? True. Maybe it's 5.5, who knows? Uh, along with uh, the Swift Evolution, another proposal that was actually recently accepted is the synthesizing equatable and hashable conformance. So that, um, you know, we got the codable, uh, you know, synthesizing, synthesizing. Synthesizing. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got that uh, with Swift 4. And it was a pretty logical leap to, you know, why not also generate code for equatable and hashable? So that looks like that's been accepted. It's unclear to me whether that's in Swift going to be in Swift four or not. It seems like it's a little late for Swift four, but you never know. It could be a point release later on, if not uh, for. I thought I saw somewhere that it was for Swift four. I could not find confirmation of that. But it, when it was shared with me originally, uh, the person said it was Swift 4, but I couldn't confirm it. So I'm going to hold off on committing to that. Uh, it's uh, Swift Evolution Proposal 0185. The status is accepted, but I could not see indication of what version of Swift it would be in. I would think I would think that that's all locked down pretty tight at this point. You would think so. Um, there's always point releases, so we might see it come before five. You know, assuming it's even implemented yet, and the proposal is accepted. But I don't know if there's still implementation work to go along with that. Um, I think it'll be a good thing. I think uh, you know kind of back to my Java days, using IntelliJ, you could easily just generate your equatable and hashable uh, from the IDE. So I, I think having this handled similar to the way Codable is handled makes sense. And then I'm sure you also still have the option to override it. The one big downfall of having your IDE generate all that code is if you happen to go and add a field later on. Right. That was always a downside. You either had to regenerate or uh, manually edit, and uh, that gets messy. With this, it would stay in sync as long as you the default implementation is what you wanted. And most of the time, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like usually the difference is whether or not you want to compare equality based on the values or some type of identifier. Yeah, but I would, I find I've done that with the identifier and I've run into issues. Just well, bugs. then you have to keep the yeah, identifier my, unique, right? Yeah, yeah the have, identifier has to be unique. But if you've modified value, a value in that uh, struct or class... Yeah, it depends what your usage is. I mean... It's all kinds of things you could be like using a hash table for or comparing for the purpose of. Right. There's, there's a lot of uh, reasons 
to not just go off of some kind of unique identifier. And it's it's definitely a nice shortcut, but I mean maybe for a hash table, but if you're sorting equatable, I mean you you don't want to use a well or are you just yeah, thinking for the hash. Not there. Just kind of the hash or even like filtering from a, an array. Because you can call you can say call the filter statement or function on a, an array and or um some some things will if you want to compare two arrays of that type, for instance, it would need that it would need those types to be equatable. And if you've got like your new data and your old data, but you've maybe changed something in the old data, you can just run into problems. Unexpected. Why isn't this updating kinds of issues? So this this is this is nice where it'll at least uh I imagine at least get you 80% of the way there. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah, anything, you know, where the language, you know, makes you more productive is, is a good thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I find that Kotlin, from what I've read, and I really haven't written any Kotlin, but it's very much, it seems to be a developer productivity oriented language where it has things like this. If you have a just a model class that's holding your data, all you have to do in Kotlin is use a, a data tag instead of a class tag, and it generates all that stuff for you with the, the hash code and the equals and all that thing, all that stuff that Java uses. And Swift is syntactically similar to Kotlin. They look very, very much the same in some cases. But Kotlin seems to have more of a productivity bent, and this kind of moves Swift to that to that level. Yeah, I've actually done some Kotlin, and those data classes are super nice. <laughs> done, I've used it more than I've used Swift for for actual stuff, just like a hobby project. But still, Kotlin's a pretty cool language. Yeah, and you know it's developed by people who create tools yeah. so it's it's designed for tooling and productivity and coming from java to kotlin is is a you see a pretty nice productivity gain yeah there there are however some interesting blog posts about the hidden costs of kotlin yeah there's compile time issues and and there might be some runtime uh, a lot of runtime performance yeah, um, and especially on Android, you have to be careful because of your your DEX limit. Yeah, but I I think you're gonna see you've got Google and Spring and and others backing it now. I I think you're gonna see that any performance issues with Kotlin and any other rough edges smoothed out a lot quicker than maybe over the previous ten years with Kotlin. So, you know, Swift has its uh, issues as well and continues to get better. So I, I, th I think we're going to see some, some parallel there. Uh, and while we're talking about Android, uh, Android O Oreo uh, was officially released today. I thought it was supposed yeah. to be Android O no. <laughs> <laughs> they, they lined it up with the Eclipse for whatever reason, so uh, Oreo is out. Wasn't the announcement kind of eclipsed by the eclipse? 
Maybe a little. I don't know. <laughs> they did have a cool little animation with a little uh, with the eclipse happening, and then a Oreo coming from the eclipse and like blocking some laser from another sun that showed up. It was it was a cool little animation for their OS. But <laughs> from another sun, yeah. I don't, so the eclipse happened, and it was blocked out, and then like this android guy morphs out of the Oreo. And then another sun comes out of nowhere and like shoots a, a ray of light, and the Oreo like goes and blocks it with the, the Oreo android with his like Oreo chest. I don't didn't quite get that part, but it looked cool. So I wonder if that's a that's a shot at the the flat earthers because some of them have this theory that there is actually two suns. I had not heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. I kind of <laughs> went down a little rabbit hole today reading about some flat earth theories. Oof, a lot of bad math in those things. Well, there's there's it's probably just, just as many uh, people who can actually install O on their Android devices as there are flat earthers. Does that sound about right to you? No, there's probably more <laughs> flat earthers. <laughs> so, in, I don't know. In the, I'm guessing all the Samsung phones that came out this year will probably get it. Some other phones might, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a while before the majority of Android folks can can all have yeah, the Motorola. Motorola isn't too bad about it for most of their newer devices as well. Yeah, but no one gets a Motorola. <laughs> <laughs> I've bought the G's. They're nice, cheap test phones. So yeah, interestingly though, also there's a uh, it was in the latest issue this week in Swift and it was about Swift on Android and actually I hadn't checked back into this stuff recently it looks like from this blog article that they've come a long way it's still still beta but you could actually write Swift code for Android apps these days and deploy it and the tooling is not too bad They right now if you want to write Swift for Android, there's the cross compilation story is still kind of weak, so they actually cross compile in a VM. And it's not really cross compiling at that point because it's a Linux VM, but there's a little bit, I guess, because you're going across CPU architectures. But yeah, I was reading this article, I was pleasantly surprised at how far along Swift on Android is coming. Maybe it won't be too much longer. Yeah, don't forget that Latner's at Google now as well. Uh, not that he's working on the languages team, but you know it's an interesting uh, tr- change uh, with him at Google. Is he actually we'll see what comes out of that? Is he actually at Google or is he at one of the Alphabet subsidiaries? I it's hard for me to keep track. Um, his post said he was going to Google Brain. I don't know if that's a team or a subsidiary. I assume it's a team. Okay. Yeah, I don't know either. He might be interesting to look that up because, well, I guess it's still, Google's campus is really large. So maybe there would be some cross-pollination in there, even if it is a separate company. <laughs> Probably not, but there's still investment time, so if it gets the itch to... To help out with Swift on Android, who knows? You think he'll use all his 20% time on forwarding Swift on Android? Uh, 
Probably I thought it was no. 10% time. <laughs> is it 20? No, it was, it was, it's supposed to, the way it was originally structured, it was going to be Friday, which, you know, on a 40 hour week, that would be 20% time. Um, I don't, you know, I think in practice, it doesn't really work out to be 40 hours. You're probably working way more than 40 hours. I bet you get your 40 hours in before you start your 20% time for most people with a, any, any looming deadlines. Like if you're on the trying to get Android O out before the eclipse, then you, uh, you might've put in a little bit of overtime. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's interesting too. Cause I bet they make a lot of their employees or at least give a lot of their employees pixel devices, and pixel phones. I wonder if Flattner is now carrying an Android. Uh, who knows, but he'll, he, I mean, he's, I think that, that, uh, that proposal that we were talking about earlier with, uh, equatable and the hash table one, um, what the approver on that was Chris Latner. So he's definitely at least spending a good chunk of his time of the, of his 20% time probably working on Swift, but I, I doubt it's going to be specifically on the Android portion of it. I still don't see what, why you'd want to do that, but. That's just me. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the same reason that you'd want, say, Kotlin or something running on iOS. It's just code sharing. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want... Which Kotlin, they're working on Kotlin Native that will be available on iOS and other platforms. That'll be kind of interesting, but I don't think it'll be any more successful than any other attempt. Yeah, it seems like the only time something like that really makes sense is if you're making a big investment in that type of, like, client-side code for some reason, that it would make sense to have an Android and iOS. At least, you know, having the same language on Android and iOS. I mean, if you're just, like, talking to a web service or something like that, you're probably going to be better off, I would think, just, you know, using whatever frameworks are available for your platform of, of choice or for what, that you're trying to write with, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some value to it that I'm missing out on. Well, there's, you can't have all of your apps logic tied up in, in some web service somewhere. There's, it's more than just pulling data down from, the, oh. from a external source. I, 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 I dig you on that, but, uh, a lot of the, other code that's not that stuff is going to be UI code. And even if you're writing in the same language, it's not going to be the same classes and all that that you're using. There's going to be different frameworks that you use for, for all that stuff. So you can't really, I mean, having one language for that is not really that beneficial in my mind. <laughs> well, it depends on how much code you put in your, in your UI. How much? You know, how much behavior and business rules you're programming into your UI. And if you're following good, you know, solid principles, then ideally you're just going to have a little bit of code for your UI and not much else. And then all your business logic and everything are sitting in other classes that could be moved from platform to platform. 
Yeah, that's that's true in theory, but having like you know working on apps that are between that you know are on iOS and Android, and maybe it's just because we're I mean we're an OpenGL app too, so in theory there could be a lot of overlap, but and just write it all and see. Uh, see, okay, be done with it. I mean, we 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 tried to use like a same API. Uh, for a lot of our stuff and have similar abstractions, but we still just write it in um, Java on Android and and Objective C uh, on iOS. And, and I think you know the even if you know there was this language that was awesome there, it wouldn't make sense to to port to whatever that language is. I don't think. But I mean, the other thing that that I worry about too is when you're doing one of these third-party languages for your OS that's not like the main supported one, then you run into all those issues of integration, you know, later on, like, oh, there's a new OS update and the bindings don't work or, or something, and you have to wait for the bindings to be updated for the new OS or something like that. So I don't know. I, I'm always scared off by that. <laughs> You're the skeptic, but don't worry. You guys can't even get me on Swift yet, so <laughs> much less Swift on Android. Well, if you could write all your Android code in Swift instead of that ugly ass Java, then sure, why not? Yeah, I know you got Kotlin, right? Although we're we're actually our current project we're doing in Unity, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about cross platform. Yeah. All right. We're out of here on that one. <laughs> yep. I think that should, that's a wrap. So, yeah, we're going to call it. We're not going to talk about any more Unity, nothing else. Why don't you guys just uh, tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Quarter. The podcast is at Shared Inst. And if you would like to, you can drop drop into our Slack chat at and get an invite from chat.sharedinstance.com. And I'll talk to you guys later. Later.